welcome to SlayerFest98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I have an all-star lineup because we're going to be talking about one of my other favorite TV shows that is, I would say, fairly underrated. It ended last year. It's The Magicians. Um, and joining me is Big Brother Season 20 contestant. Angela Rockstar. Hi, Angela. Hi. And I have TV writer. Neil McNeil. And writer and journalist. Philip Ellis, hello. And Doctor of English and my BFF. Kimberly Ann Southwick. Hi, everyone. Hello. Um, so I figure the way we'll start this is how did each of you get into the show? Um, Neil, I'll have you go first. I literally looked up this tweet this morning because I was like, I'm fairly certain I was hungover on New Year's Day, staying at my parents' house. And realized that season one of The Magicians was finally on Netflix. And I didn't have cable at my house. So I was like, okay, let me finally get into this weird, magical, dummy show. And I watched the whole season in a day. And was like, great, <laughs> I'm obsessed. I'm fully in. And then from that point on, I was watching weekly when it, when it was on. Oh, I love that. Um, Angela, how'd you get into it? I uh, think that I just passed it on sci-fi when it was airing and i think it might have been like like they were playing the episode again because i fell asleep but i was into it so i was like let me watch this again and then i was just completely i said oh my gosh this is the greatest thing since buffy and <laughs> and to me that's like you know it was from the gods so i had to had to tune in i love it um i love it uh, uh, Philip, how did you get into it? Um, so I was aware of the books, uh, but I had never read them. And then I was sort of vaguely aware of, uh, of the TV series. And I think actually, Ian, it was you that got me into it. I think, uh, either we'd had a conversation about it or I'd seen you tweeting about it. Cause obviously I know it's, it's one of your favorite shows. And basically, um, it was a Saturday night and I, I was like, oh, I can't, I can't face scrolling through like the, the endless, you know, um, Netflix home screen to find something. So I'm just going to go and watch this show that's kind of been on my radar for a little while. I, I, I also, I'm a big fan of like a sci-fi network drama series where it's like, here are a load of really charming people. They're filming on a soundstage in Vancouver with the same sort of stable of Canadian actors. Like that gives me warm good feelings like i'm a big killjoys fan um so i binged season one uh much like neil in like one night i think i sort of stayed up until like two in the morning to, to finish it um and then i think within the course of a month i'd watched the first four seasons and then i watched the final season by that point that was airing um weekly sort of going into this this was all last year so like basically um the magicians became my my quarantine show and i was watching that week on week um, at the very first start of, uh, of lockdown last year. So I watched the entire series within like two months. I love that. And I actually was hoping, I was like, ooh, I think Philip might be, might have watched it because of me. <laughs> uh, Kim, how did you get into it? I mean, I didn't technically watch the show because of you, but I did read the first book because of you, which probably in turn led to me watching it on Netflix when I, you know, did the Netflix scroll and was like, oh, this looks good. I think I read that book. Probably that kind of thing happened and just was hooked from the first season. So yeah, uh, Kim and I had read the first book together and the show I had watched I think it's like I had watched like seasons, season one and, you know, season one ends on a cliffhanger and I was like, okay, I have to finish this. I got like halfway through season two and I kind of felt like, eh, 
And then Kim actually was the one that got me back into it and was like, no, like if you keep going, you will love this, which is funny because Kim, you've now done that with two shows and you've been 100% correct. It was this and Schitt's Creek that both I like kind of fell out during season two and you were like, no, keep going. It will be your favorite. And both of them ended up being my favorite. So yay, good job, Kim. Yeah, I think the show, I don't know if you'll all agree. I think season, while season one is good, especially I appreciated it more like when I watched it a second time, um, having like the full scope of the show because mm-hmm. like all the pieces are there. Um, and I do think, like you said, Angela, I think there's like definitely a line between Buffy and this. Like there's a reason this has become like probably my second favorite show and and i mean a lot of the the showrunner sarah gamble is a huge buffy fan uh summer bishel is a huge buffy fan she's been on to talk buffy on this podcast it just feels like a progression of like right it just feels like a story that could have been the characters what they could have been if they were told and if they were like telling that story now um and i think that that's why there's a lot of magicians fans who are buffy fans but season one i i almost feel like you can feel that like they had to kind of conform to the network. And mm-hmm. then post season one, they kind of were like, Ooh, we're going to make this really queer. We're going to like make yeah. it really violent. We're just going to like do whatever the fuck we want, have musical episodes. Um, and so I almost feel like season one is a little bit more controlled season wise. And like Quentin's definitely the main character. They're definitely like pushing Quentin and Alice. Um, and while they do stay off and on whatever couple, they're not, so focused on them and they were like laser focused on them in season one i felt like did you guys feel that way yeah i think um i mean I, and maybe neil can speak to this uh, a little bit more than i can but i think just like in the first season of anything there are like structures you have to stick to in terms of just this is how you begin you know a, mm-hmm. a long-running story this is how you introduce a large cast of characters and so it is a lot more sort of um i guess of a traditionally made and and like told story at the start and obviously, and obviously like building the and laying out this sort of you know fantastical world but yeah and then it kind of I, I kind of do love that just it goes to bigger weirder wilder crazier queerer places the longer it goes yeah on. yeah season one is definitely more grounded because you kind of get a sense that they're trying to appeal to as many viewers as humanly possible i mean the the fillery of it all is there but it's not really the main focus of season one it's oh these are kids at a magical boarding school and oh my gosh they discover this magical world is real whereas in the later seasons we're literally like venturing off to like find magical keys and different worlds (laughs) and go to talking dragons and it's like we couldn't have gotten away with that in season one but we needed season one to have laid all the groundwork for this expansive world in order for us to get to that point so while i do think that season one is like not what the show is i appreciate it for what it did in the long haul yeah it also to me felt like it was uh trying to live up to the marketing that i'm sure that i think the book was marketed this way so i I guess when it came out on actual sci-fi network it's probably marketed this way too this whole like what if your actual favorite fantasy series was real and yeah. actually really mm-hmm. fucked up, you know? <laughs> so, like, so much of, especially when I went back over it, it felt like they were, like, making sure to, like, point the finger at that. It's like, oh, like, you know, you think this is fun and real? Like, here's how messed up it is. <laughs> and once that's established, like, the the show doesn't need that trope to keep people hooked anymore. But that that was definitely a big marketing scheme for the books. And I think that they tried to keep that 
as something for season one as well. Oh yeah, there was a big Harry Potter for adults like right. tagline yeah. all yeah. over the, the the books and the, the 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 show. I remember, yeah. I remember telling everybody when it came out, it was like if Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Harry Potter had a baby, but <laughs> the baby did drugs and had orgies. Like, <laughs> that was what this show was. And that's how I was pitching it to my friends. That's about right. You were pitching the show as baby orgies? No. <laughs> no. I mean, that sounds like something the show would do. Yeah. But if they had, like, a child, if they meshed those things together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Kim actually texted Kim and I have been doing, like, a Skippy rewatch this season. And she was like... Man, the delivery when Margot's like, I'll fuck these horses if they can get us there faster. And Elliot's like, uh, these are talking horses. And she's like, it still stands. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, so I guess we should talk about the characters. While Elliot is very much your like straight dude character, I I love that they eventually kind of like queer him up. Because he's very much presented as like sad straight boy. Wait, do you mean Quentin? You mean Quentin. Quentin, yes. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> I get them mixed up too by name. I don't know why I get their names mixed up too, but now I feel better about it. Anyway. So we're, we're both nanas. Um, so Quentin, yes, uh, is very much presented as like just like sad straight guy. And because I feel like uh, Neil and Philip, you can probably uh, back me up here. There are a lot of like those type of like straight guys that definitely identify as straight that like still are like yeah I'll hook up like and Quentin does kind of read that way um and mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of shows we don't often get that where it's like okay yeah they still identify as straight but like yeah they'll like hook up with like their gay friend who they like have a close bond with I mean the Quentin Margot Elliot threesome episode like changed me as a person so I think <laughs> I, I fully think that Quentin has always been queer. I don't think I would never call him a straight character. He's like a Kinsey three, right? <laughs> Two, three. Yeah, I, I think he's he's like my take on that character is if he ever got his head out of his ass long enough to think about something other than just how sad he is, he would have done mm-hmm. some like work and realized that he is bi and like identify as such. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we all know those guys. Like, that's what I mean. That, like, identify, like, still, like, identify as straight, but, like, will. But they're not. <laughs> and I don't think, I don't think in shows we often get that, right? I feel like we're more mm-hmm. likely to get, um, like, women characters who maybe can, like, do that than we do men characters. Oh, it's super rare for, like, male bisexuality to, and especially in a main character. Um, right. Yeah. No, yeah, you, um, you're right there. But so I, I, and I mean, I know it's, like, I don't know. I I had such a crush on Quentin. He was like very much my like. Give him tattoos on one arm, and like there you go. He's one hundred percent my type. Um, <laughs> but like from his like intro in episode one, where they like play MGMT, which is one of my favorite bands, I was just like, ooh, I definitely have a crush on this guy. And he has good hair. He's cute. He's got nice lips. But I I also identify with him as like the depressed nerd. Like I think he's explicitly calls himself a depressed super nerd. Like after meeting Elliot. Um, and I was like, ooh, I relate to this character. Um, what did like what did you all think of Quentin kind of like I mean his arc ends with him dying. But Angela, before we recorded, you said what did you say about that? I said that's true to the books. And I had no idea. Does he die in the third one? Yes. 
Yes, because it wraps it up basically with um, Julia becoming the goddess and it goes into that in the books about her choosing and Quentin stays in this other world, which is basically like his, you know, and it was, it, it is kind of like, even, I mean, even in the, in the series, they touched on like, is it a suicide? Is it not? He's always mm. been depressed. Is he really go? Mm. And it that was, that was, talked about in the in the book as well so that actually happens so this the series went beyond the books the show did which was why there was like a chatter about whether it would go on or not because it had surpassed the books but i'm thinking you know game of thrones surpassed its books keep it going keep going yeah and (laughs) and and i do think the books and show were like different they were they were already different right it's not like they definitely used plots but they, they were different enough anyway right yeah well mm-hmm. they deviate and add for sure but uh when you read the, if you if you were to read all three books now you would understand that it they they actually do stay pretty true to it um mm-hmm. while adding a lot okay. <laughs> speaking That's- of this i got this theory when ian and i were brainstorming for this episode i was like oh my god what if the books and the tv show are on two different timelines because the tv show is timeline 40 and the books maybe are a different timeline and i looked up <laughs> the internet, and of course other people had thought of this theory before and debunked it and it's not the case <laughs> just so y'all know because in the in the show they do there is a couple of times isn't it like twice that margo's referred to as janet yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah and that's like the character in the book I do, I do like that shit, but I, I guess it's just like a nod. But yeah, what, Neil, you've written for TV. Mm-hmm. What, how do you feel about Quentin's arc? Quentin's arc is actually, um, I think, one of the most uh, fleshed out from start to finish. Because when we first meet him in the pilot, he, like you said, is a uh, depressed super nerd who kind of sees himself as, I should be a hero. I should be this person i should be this main character in this story and the only way for me to be able to fulfill my destiny is to become this hero and to save the world and to sacrifice everything and at the end of his story he is ultimately able to save the world by sacrificing himself whether or not that's uh intentionally a suicide on his part is up for debate but he did set out and do something and accomplish something that he thought is his destiny and he was able to not only fulfill his destiny but save the lives of all of his friends and the entire world so for me quentin's story is actually quite beautiful and tragic um and like we said it's like yeah he died at the end of uh season four and i think we could have just kept going at that point we could have gone for so many more seasons because he sacrificed himself so that we could have this entire world um, and unfortunately, yeah. sci-fi was like, actually, um, he's dead. Story's wrapped up. We're good. And it's like, no, give us more. Give us more. Let's honor Quentin's memory even more. He's such a, he did so much for us. <laughs> Sacrificed. Yeah. Uh, Philip, what do you think of his arc? I found him kind of one of the least interesting characters, I think, just because in this <laughs> show, there are so many huge, uh, funny, vibrant personalities and I, I think, obviously, having him as, like, the audience surrogate, like, that works. You know, he's this uh, protagonist who sees himself as the protagonist, and he's sort of, you know, he is our our, our way into break bills and into, into fillery and everything. But it's like, I was just always more interested in what, like, Elliot or Margot or even Marina were doing. <laughs> yeah, Marina. 
<laughs> I mean, I'm sure we'll get to Marina, but uh, you know, but <laughs> I, I, what I will say is I loved his friendship with Julia um, through yes. all of the the highs and lows that that they had. Um, I I love seeing platonic friendships between men and women on screen because um, again, we don't we don't get that much. So. You know what, Tim? We've talked about that a lot. Like I I felt like. You're right. I mean, that's, we don't, you know, if, if it's two gay characters or like, you know, two lesbians or two straight, like normally there's always a romance. If it's like, it can happen, it does happen. And I genuinely loved their friendship. I love that there was no like, oh, but he's pining for her forever. And like, I feel like other shows would have had it be that one of them was pining for the other um, this whole did time. It, and it, it start like that? I can't remember. He, he did have a crush at the start, right? Like right at the very start until he meets Alice, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's got that, that like funny relationship. I mean, in the very beginning, he's reading the Fillory book and she ju- Julia jumps in his bed and Julia's boyfriend is making a joke and they're all very like, yeah. I loved that. From yeah. the start, I loved that. I was like, oh, they're setting this up for for fun people, even though this yeah. guy is like seemingly unfun um, <laughs> with fun people. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's the type of shit I love because that also feels like true to friendships, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it feels like, yeah, this is how to, I mean, they, it, they had been friends since like childhood, right? Wasn't that their whole like, yeah, thing? yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, and Kim, we've been friends since childhood and like, that's like shit we would do. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. I remember when we, when, I don't know when it was that that we said this in what season, but I remember you and I saying something like, Margot and Elliot are the characters that we wish we were, but in our terms of our friendship, but Julian and Quentin are the characters we actually are. Had to be early on because I feel like the uh, Elliot-Margot friendship develops in a way that even though we're unfortunately not that cool, um, <laughs> we can still relate to them a yeah. lot. And the the relationship that the first two seasons between um julia and quentin that develops definitely is something that as people that have been friends for such a long time we can relate to yeah you know i was just thinking that because in my last night for my rewatch i season three is my favorite season so i was doing more season three episodes last night um and it was when uh he leaves on the boat and she and margo says to him like what's the difference between a hero and a moron and she's like, like, she's being shitty, but she's being serious. Like, she's upset and doesn't want to possibly lose her best friend. And he, like, he, like, he's like, oh, they, they get to the, like, the point that it's like, oh, a decision. And then they, like, kiss goodbye. And it's like a very loving kiss, but it's the way, like, two large, like, they just, it felt like love between two best friends. And that, I was like, oh, like, I love that. Like, I love, I love loving shit like that when it's not, there's no romantic undertone or anything. It's just like, yes, these are two characters showing affection because they love each other in a non, in non-romantic way. And Margo um, and Elliot are the loves of each other's lives. And I, I, yeah. I, I, again, that's something I love seeing is like friendship being the defining love in a, a character's story. Um, yes. You know, that, that Elliot has like one love interest in season one and then sort of, you know, he kind of gets paired up with like one of the only other spare characters at the end. Margot has like a few dalliances, but really like they are each other's constant. They are each other's anchors. And, um, you know, even though they're kind of incredibly sort of chaotic people, like there's, there's <laughs> always that that connection there. I'm going to cry. But yeah, so, and we, Julia also had some pretty good character development, but I will say, even with doing research for this episode, I still am like a little blurry on, because she, is it by the end of season two or three where she's like officially a god? Three. Uh, three, yeah. 
three. But so I remember texting you at some point about the show and being like, man, can Julia get a break? Like, you know, the early seasons, like it was too much. Mm-hmm. She's, you know, she's depressed as hell in the most of the first season, right? Because she didn't get into break bills, but found a way to remember it. And then right. she's raped. Right. And she's not only raped, but now is carrying this god child, right? Right. Like, uh, there's like four other terrible things that happened to her after that. Well, and then she even goes to get the abortion, but like- uh, Oh, and I they always take her first... shade when they get the, she gets the abortion. She doesn't have a shade anymore. Yep. Right. And the doctors kill themselves because of- God, see, this is where I get mixed up. It's not the beast that raped her. It's the other one, Rain- right? Uh, right. Because Reynard won't let her get rid of the child. So he like makes the doctors kill themselves. And it's just like, Jesus Christ. Um, mm-hmm. So I was, so with that in mind, Kim, did you like where she ended up? Well, yeah, exactly. Right. So she has, the first two seasons are like, oh my God, you know, like this poor poor character and then yeah. season three she's the only one with magic it's like the, the the tables have been turned and like she's really able to develop i think as a character that isn't defined by just these successive unending tragedies yeah. so I, I like that she's the one that gets that like she's the only one that really could have yeah angela how'd you feel about julia as a character uh, there was one moment where i was just so i despised her when she put Quentin back in the mental hospital in his mind. <laughs> and then I and then I loved her ever after. Like I understood um the cool thing that I as a as a practicing witch, uh pagan, like that's my religion, hedge mm. witches are a real thing. That means mm. that you are not in one particular focused area but that you kind of pick and choose from different you could take some shamanism you could take some celtic you could that is actually a term and i love that they blend throughout the show actual like magic magic which is Mm. what i also loved about buffy uh through willow you know but julia um she really just becomes so powerful and exactly what they needed her to be in that timeline and as you find out that like the whole reason she couldn't even go is because she needed to be the change and it's it's always like it actually becomes a story about julia where you thought it was about quentin i think julia (laughs) the main character like I, i because it's really her evolution her trials and tribulations that ultimately make her this powerful force a goddess literally yeah no i i I did like julia um yeah i do you think you're right she because a lot of the plots kind of like they need julia it's like a lot of times when like they're like doing the thing with whatever whatever you know whether it's moving the moon or like getting the keys like julia tends to be the like the point person right like she's the only one that has magic in season like she tends to be the one that like gets the thing done and is it is it the end of season four where she's it's taken away, right? Her like godness. I think that is that is it season three. That's the one with like the quest for all the keys. Yep. Um, and then she uses her goddess powers to recreate the keys, and then basically like that uses up all of her power, and so she's sort of human again. Um, right. Throughout season four, until um, Quentin's death and her mm-hmm. grief kind mm-hmm. of 
allows her to access magic again. Yep. Mm, all right. All right. Um, it's, it, it, it's a whole. I I, I, I I struggle really to get the sort of the timeline of like what happened in which season like straight in my head. I think you got it. <laughs> yeah, I think you, I think yeah. you did. I'm mm-hmm. you said it with a confident voice, so sure. <laughs> 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 um. So then there's there's Alice, uh, who hands up. She was probably my least favorite character. Kim, what'd you feel about Alice? So Alice, I can't decide, you know, Alice and Julia are both like the Hermione character, if we're going to go with the Harry Potter for adults. And I guess like Alice is just purposely unlikable for way too long. And in the Mm. beginning, she's just keeping to herself. You know, she just wants to get her brother back or something. Um, And then she winds up killing herself, right? In a big old, same way her brother did, becomes a Niffin. and. When she comes back, she she's also missing her shade, as Julia was. So then she's just like total biatch. Yeah. And then she's angry when she gets her shade back. So she's <laughs> just like she just doesn't have a chance to be to be likable. She's not made likable. She like we we feel bad for her sometimes, and I'm intrigued by by certain moments of the show and the way that they use her as a character, but like. She's just not as likable as some of the other characters. Well, when you meet her family, you kind of get a sense of why she's become this like unlikable monster who kind of yeah. takes her magic for granted. For me, she and Julia are just kind of two sides of the same coin, whereas yeah. Julia was someone who had her destiny taken away from her by the constantly resetting timeline. Alice was never uh, taken out of break bills in any of these worlds, whereas Julia got everything taken away from her. So it's like, I, I sometimes wonder if Julia had been given the same opportunities that Alice had, would they have essentially have become the same character or would they have gone on diverging paths? Hmm. That's a good point. Alice to me, I think is uh, kind of like, you know, and to bring it back to Buffy, she's kind of like Willow, uh, but like Willow when she's being kind of the, her worst self in that sort of single minded <laughs> pursuit mm-hmm. of knowledge and power at, the expense of all else mm. um, and she said like so early on that you know she she doesn't even know what her potential is like she she sees in herself the possibility for greatness um and she never really stops to think like is that a good thing necessarily um and then obviously you know it, it her big sort of arc is you know she 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 dies she's a niffin she sort of goes through all of these metamorphoses and then by the end of the the fifth season she has become a master magician she has kind of fulfilled that destiny that she laid out for herself but she's also been humbled uh, through all of these experiences as well and i think that was kind of maybe her you know she, she started out incredibly you're, you're right kimberly she started out incredibly unlikable and with this really like nerdy intensity and like that sort of i feel like she even hammed up the sort of nasal voice when we first meet her so she's just like this tightly wound like bookish like just sort of like oof. but also it's like oh you're you're like a supermodel with huge cans but we're going to pretend you're an ugly nerd okay bye. <laughs> <laughs> but you are right too like by by the end of the the show she's i don't even notice how much i didn't like her in the beginning anymore she has kind of like come into her own as mm. a yeah. master magician yeah because i say she's my least favorite but like i still I don't like, it's not like when she was on screen, I was like mad. Like I still liked her. And Neil, you bring up a good point. I actually really enjoyed the moments with her family. Same. Like I, en- I enjoy her mom is this like very cold chain smoking mother. Who's like still kind of like, 
even though she's like not a great mom, she's still like a hundred percent knows Alice. Like, right? She's always right when she reads her. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that they had like sex parties. Like that was a yeah. hilarious <laughs> little detail. <laughs> It really tracks as well that she's got these kind of freewheeling, like, you know, like the wealthy bohemian, like free love parents. And so that means like, that's why she's such an uptight preppy one, because she's, she's rebelled by going, by being as straight laced as possible. (laughs) Yep. That's like the, you know, the the 60s parents, the now raised conservative people, like, that's exactly what I thought. She was very, very, very uptight. And it is in kind of a rebellion to these wild Saturnalia loving parents. Yeah. They were awesome though. I thought they were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, her mom was awful in the most delicious way. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that actor was great. So then I want to talk about Penny. I will say Penny was up top my least favorite character just because of how much how like awful he was to quentin on a rewatch that's hilarious though but only <laughs> on a rewatch um but then i i did end up like loving him i didn't love i never love i mean like x-men does this all the time but i never love a like that character died but now we're going to replace them with a different version mm-hmm. of that same character like i don't like and i know that that the thing the magicians always did was they like knew they were doing a trope, but did it differently. But that was the only one that didn't quite land for me. Yeah. I think if they'd made Penny 23 just like different, like he wasn't different enough. Yes, he wasn't. Yeah, he didn't feel different to me. What? He was in love with Julia. Isn't that different enough for you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was still like, they, they kept that fine as hell actor around. So I'm, I'm yes. okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yes, he's very attractive in um in the books penny is a punk with a mohawk and he wears those like you know jackets with the studs on them and stuff (laughs) and i really like how they created penny for tv as this kind of like boho guy like and i really i really enjoyed penny it his his trope of Dying and coming back is also true to the books. Oh yeah, yeah. So that was that was in the books that he did the, and it was supposed to be the one that kind of hated Quentin died, and the other one was more okay with him, I guess. Which kind of hmm. happens a bit. Yeah, Kim, how did you feel about Penny? I don't really remember disliking Penny twenty three or thinking that he wasn't a good enough replacement or thinking that he was too much of the same character i feel like i just bought into it all so good job tv writers yeah (laughs) (laughs) i really liked on a rewatch there was a moment where they've got like the unity key and um penny's kind of gone for a while and katie picks it up and penny's like there and she's like oh my god penny but then it's penny 23 yeah so i really liked the things that in those moments, and I think that's the key season, so that's season three. Those moments in season three with um, Katie and his relationship with the new Penny, I think worked really well for me. When when Penny, like, I, I did. I, I fell for Penny because when he was sitting in class and he could hear Katie's thoughts and he was like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I loved about um, original Penny, uh, especially, I think it was obviously after he, uh, either after he went to the library or after he died or or both, um, but he is kind of the mechanism for two of my favorite episodes, which is 
six short stories about magic and the mm-hmm. sidekicks yeah. where the show breaks its format and does these sort of like anthologized um episodes where you see the action unfolding from you know basically the perspective of everyone except quentin mm-hmm. um and i just yeah i loved the all of the little storytelling tricks and uh, and and things that they they managed to pull off with him as like a narrator rod sterling figure mm-hmm. yeah and so that brings us to one of my other least favorite characters katie oh i love katie all right great Neil, talk about why you love her. <laughs> I, I just love the stereotypical wrong side of the tracks, you know, doesn't belong here, doesn't fit in, kind of like rough around the edges, but still wants to like make their mark in whatever environment they're in. Like, and she wants to prove herself. She is someone who comes from a not so great background who at first you kind of figure out like maybe her intentions aren't always good. Maybe she's not a team player. And then she slowly starts to soften and like becomes friends with everyone. Like, I don't know. I I love that sort of redemption story. And I love seeing someone who wouldn't necessarily be given all these sorts of opportunities, like an Alice character um, still kind of fight for good and still kind of fight to make sure that her friends and the world at large are protected. Yeah, especially like in the long run, how she does really join up with the hedges and really works like for good for everyone. I think that that tracks in terms of, uh, you know, being all for herself at the beginning. She's literally stealing from break bills and mm-hmm. giving to Marina. I mean, she has to, but that's beside the point. She's still doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's got a lot of tragedy too. I feel like her, her character kind of gets gets lost though, maybe in like season two and three, because we have the emergence of Margot and Elliot as like more sort of main characters and Katie's storyline seems murky, but I think it, it really works in the long run in the end. Oh, right. Is that season one where her fucking mother gets, like, melted? Yeah. 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 And it's, like, always never mentioned again. Yes. Like, like not people who like, go through bereavements and lose, like, siblings or parents, and then it just sort of gets lost in the source because there's so much other crazy shit happening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, remember five years ago when my mom was melted by magic? No, I don't. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um. Angela, what do you think of Katie? I I really like Katie. Katie and Penny one. I could have I could have had them together forever. They reminded me of like my burner friends. <laughs> um, that's like a Burning Man reference. Like my festival friends. That the stylistically wise. Um, yeah. I like that she overcame a drug addiction. Twice. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's like I I always love to see stuff like that in TV because you never know who's watching or what they need to see, and yeah. nothing's ever unsurmountable. And she, you know, and sometimes you fall off whatever it is that you're falling off of, and you got to get back on. I think it's on, right? I don't know. I, I always forget. <laughs> I, always, I always have that Seinfeld thing in my head where they're like, "Is it on the wagon or off the?" Right, I always exactly. forget. I don't one. know. Well, whichever <laughs> way is the way where it's healthy for them. Right. You know, she was able to do that multiple times on the show and and I thought that was that was good and and she did. She just loved her mama and without her, I don't know that we would no, we would have met Marina, but Marina's a badass. So, I <laughs> you know, I linked them together in my mind as well. <laughs> uh, so that brings us to Elliot. Uh, Elliot I loved. I loved him. I loved Are him. Are we from just the skipping d- Josh, Ian? Uh, do you want to talk about Josh? We can talk about Josh. He does become part of the crew in season three. He does. The killer he does. Very important episode. 
<laughs> All right. He'd be pissed if we skipped him. All right. We'll talk about Josh first then. So we'll talk about Josh. I, I will say I did, the way I remember reading, I think it might have been an Entertainment Weekly article that was like an interview about the All About Josh, that musical episode and they said that they kind of forgot about the character like when they were writing the scripts they were just like oh, we can't really fit him so then they like they couldn't fit him in whatever the next episode was after his last one and then they just kind of forgot to write him in and we're like great we can have that be the like theme of the episode where he comes back is that they forgot about him um and i will say watching the show there are so many side characters that die and are never talked about again mm-hmm. that I forgot who he was until that episode. Like, I kind of had forgotten about him, even though he is kind of important, especially moving forward. Yeah. I had definitely forgotten about him. Kim, since you brought him up, talk about Josh. Yeah, I guess a, a lot of the episodes I watched uh, in my Skippy rewatch had him in it. So, like, the Bacchus episode is yeah, one of them yeah. where he's important. And then I remember him because, you know, he's one of the naturalists and one of the few people that does that so i remember him just like being a chef in fillery at some point for or maybe not in fillery who knows in an earlier episode but i i ha- i had forgotten that that bowie episode was like the whole point was like getting josh like in as part of the crew and i just love that it's like basically the middle of the whole show now that we know where it ends and they're like okay like this guy's going to be important going forward like let's just give him this entire like maybe one of the better slash best episodes of the show surrounded about like you know getting him back on board and then i was a little confused about the him and margo hooking up thing but then i think that the show pulled it off in the end for sure like their mm-hmm. their relationship especially like when like they're like not hooking up anymore and they they don't want to talk about it kind of thing but he does want to talk about it and she doesn't and it's like her regret and everything. I just thought all of that, all of that stuff was really well done as well in terms of relationships and feelings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like a it was a, a kind of like a Xander and Cordelia like Schmidt and Cece that sort of dynamic where it's like okay, like you you need to have two great actors to really sell that like this queen would you know um, lower herself, but like he is naturally like, incredibly like he he wins everyone over, including the viewer. Like he's like a really lovable goof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like Josh. I think actually comparing it to Xander and Cordelia, it's like a leveled up version of that where like Josh is the goof, but he's not like a toxic goof yeah. straight dude. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he is like, like, I think maybe that's like the great thing about the show is it doesn't feel the need to have a Xander to speak for the straight white man. Right. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Josh is like, just, Josh like is the very nice goofy guy. Like he just kind of an old because he's a werewolf too, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah everyone high, you know. Yeah, cooking meth muffins for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. Uh, Neil, what do you think of Josh? Oh, I thought he was so charming. I thought that actor was so great, so, such a good addition to this cast of just like beautiful dummies, where he's just like the typical everyman. And like for me, that was the real um, audience point of insertion. Like Quentin, at that point, I was just like nobody, nobody sees themselves in you, Quentin. You're just too sad. You're too depressed all the time. <laughs> I'm a Josh. I am just like a weird dude sitting in the corner, standing everyone and everything that's happening and like singing to myself when I want to. Like, that's that's me. Josh is my character. <laughs> Neil, I have seen your thirst traps. You are not Josh. <laughs> uh, I, I completely see myself as a Josh in every single situation. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can pair him with every character as well. I think it's, he's kind of um, brilliant. You can you can drop him into anyone else's storyline um, mm-hmm. and just like have him react and 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 be that sort of audience surrogate. Like I remember in the because uh, obviously you know this is a show that loves tropes. They had the time loop episode, and there's a really lovely scene where Elliot is just like beaten down. He has been through multiple traumas by this point in the show. And uh, and he's just sort of like the world's about to end and hit for like the millionth time and him and Josh are just sitting having like a quiet beer together and it's really it's really sweet. Yes, yes, yes I like that moment and I also like it as like a Josh is also comfortable being second to Elliot is another thing that I love. Like mm-hmm. you know when Margot says goodbye to her men, she's saying goodbye to Josh and Elliot together in that finale, and mm-hmm. I felt like that was very important. And Josh isn't threatened. There's no, like, he's not mad. He's not, he's like, yes, I know. Like, he's very much, like, knowing that Margot loves Elliot the most. And, like, but Margot also loves him. Like, mm-hmm. And, like, that's the kind of shit, that's what, that's what I need in a man. Like, someone who will be like, okay, yes, Ian loves Kim and, like, his other best friends. But, like, he loves me, too. But, like. <laughs> Aww. Um. But yeah, so I, and I will say when he started dating Margot, I didn't like it, but by the end I loved it because it made agree. Hard agree. sense. Yeah. Okay. I, I was wondering what everyone else thought. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. They, they, they sell us on that relationship completely to the point where then it's like, oh, you, I'm sorry, you slept with Fen? Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he thought they were gone. I, that I was like, okay. He thought that the, it was like, this was it. There was never going to get back to Margot and Elliot. So, but yeah, I normally I'm not. Like, you know, like Xander and Cordelia, it's very like, okay, they were in high school. Sure. I can buy it as like their kids. So why not? Um, but like, they're not a couple that I ever am like that into, but like this couple, they did sell me on it pretty quickly. And I think it's because he helped to humanize Margo as well, because she, yeah. you know, yeah. has got like a million walls. She is a walking, talking, like wisecracking fortress. Um, yeah. And he just like wiggles his way in and finds that she has a heart under all of that. And who doesn't love <laughs> that story? That's a great point, Philip. I never thought of it that way. Well, you're so smart, Philip. <laughs> 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 but now we'll talk about Elliot because I love Elliot so much. At first, Elliot was kind of just like I related to him in that like he was crushing on Quentin. Um, you know, I always think of Margot's introduction is oh, that's Quentin. He's not that cute. Like, and that means Elliot was like talking about this new cute guy to his like best friend. And I just felt like that felt relatable to me. I know some people feel some kind of way about Elliot not quite getting a happy, like he didn't ever have like a stable relationship. But for me, he read as someone who wouldn't. Um, Neil, what did you think? Uh, Elliot is one of the more iconic characters of the past i think like decade of television um especially in his friendship with margo and i like what I, I i never really put the pieces together that he didn't really ever have um a healthy long-standing relationship unless you count that episode where he and quentin literally died together on this farm which i think is so beautiful and sad um but he, he you're kind of right he is one of those characters who was never really meant to have that sort of epic love story um and that's kind of what makes him so beautifully tragic in all this um and the fact that he became such an important figure in fillery even though it's never what he wanted um i don't know it's it's he he really became a fully fleshed out character and not just someone who 
you know, was horny for Quentin, which I really appreciated. (laughs) Uh, Philip? So I have spent most of today thinking about Elliot um, and just trying to be like, okay, if they ask me, like, can I put all my thoughts and feelings into, like, just a couple of sentences? So here goes. At the start of the show, Elliot is in drag. That is not him. I mean, his name is literally Elliot War. I think we can probably assume that he invented that surname for himself you know when he was on the bus out from whatever uh flyover state he's actually from you know he reveals that his dad was a farmer and he basically cultivates this um oscar wilde-esque like playboy persona he is wearing the bride's head revisited suits in season yeah. one yeah. and then he just finds <laughs> as, as, as real life uh keeps kind of like butting into this fantasy that none of it really fits anymore and then he's sort of transposed into this kingdom and he's forced to marry off and, and and he's given all this responsibility and he has to actually think like right okay when i'm not getting wasted and having sex like who am i um and it's kind of a, a question that pretty much everyone in the show has to kind of answer at some point but i really like that sort of just visually throughout the um throughout the show you see him go on like like his clothes tell a real story of like you know he goes from being the the, the, the party king of campus to the literal king of, of Fillory <laughs> and that it's like actually the scruffier and the dirtier he gets like the the realer he is you know like when he is on that quest with Quentin living on that that farm in that beautiful beautiful episode or when he's you know sort of climbing a mountain in like a barber coat with with Alice and they're having that heart to heart about Quentin yeah. and it's like actually just like removing all of that artifice and he's still fabulous and he's still funny and he's still you know he can still make a mean manhattan or whatever um (laughs) but like just some of those edges have been have been stripped away and he's just like a real rounder person and as somebody who has done a lot of the same shit over the last year of quarantine i really really saw myself in that (laughs) (laughs) angela oh i love him i love him throughout i was i understand why he had to be to go through all of this but i wish he wasn't the try i wish that his episode with quentin and their life together you know that that was his whole like i i wish the best for quentin i mean for elliot i love him (laughs) i loved him i love what you said about him being in drag at the start and i totally i understand what you're saying like when you put on something and you're just real real extra and i i know those (laughs) like i understand that i i really i i love him i i every time it seemed like things were gonna go well for him i mean maybe fen should have been you know into trying some stuff i don't know like (laughs) (laughs) i really wanted something to just be the right like the ultimate right thing for him because I <laughs> love them so much. Like when I remember that episode, cause I was like, Ooh, maybe fans a little freaky. Maybe this will be good. Like maybe he'll be able to be the king and like happy and shit. <laughs> Angela, I imagine you being like, all right, Elliot, let's do this. I'm, I'm down for whatever. Yeah. We can make it work. Like history of the world part one, when she's picking who she wants for the, and she's like, no, 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 no. Yes. No, no. <laughs> yes. Kim, give Kim, give me your Elliot uh speech. So Elliot is like, he he and Margot become the main characters of this show. And I feel like Margot very obviously becomes one of the main characters. And Elliot just like, you don't even realize how he's wormed his way 
into the spotlight and, and like into your heart. I mean, yes, or like he's the king or whatever in season two, but like like that's when he becomes the king and everything. And he remains the king for a good part of the show, though not all of it. But like he just he's just always there. And I feel like you even love him. And again, I, I too like the, the point about him being in drag. You even love him then. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not even, you don't need, he doesn't have to win you over. You love him from the start. And then you're just like so glad when things go his way, even though they don't actually, you yeah. know, go his way in a very typical or tropey happy ending kind of way. Yeah. 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 I, mean, I want to mention I... one Elliot moment. Sorry. But uh, in my rewatch, there's the episode called, I think, like, The Happy Place, where oh yeah, they, they're, like, in, in his head, I guess, and they're in his happy place. And it didn't occur to me uh, until a rewatch that what we were living in those early parts of that show were his happy place. And that part of his happy place was him renaming Todd. Because Todd comes in, he's Elliot, and Elliot's like, "Yeah, that's not gonna work. What's your middle name?" And like, I love that. Like in his brain, like that's like one of his happy place moments. <laughs> it is like really silly and perfect that it's a happy place moment for him. Um, yeah, I just, yeah, I love Elliot. I love him so much. Um, I was glad that he kind of got a happy ending. Like it felt a little rushed at the end, but I was glad that he had someone. Yes. That like also understood him, because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. the guy had like literally been living in his brain. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, now we will talk about our favorite high king, Margot. I, I'm gonna, I, I have, I said this to Tim. I've said this in our group chat. I, Margot, definitely rivals Buffy and Cordelia for me. Like sometimes I'm like maybe I love her more. Uh-huh. Um, but like she rivals those characters, and I know all four of you know how much I love Buffy and Cordelia. Yeah. Like for me, Margot got. Her arc is just absolutely perfect. There's a moment in season three when they've drugged her like child husband. Um, <laughs> and he's like asleep in the the carriage. They go to look at the, the fairy eggs. They're in the carriage and like they say how they feel like they've lost who they are. Um, and I will say I watched it stoned and I was like, oh, they're talking about the show because of their character development. Oh, that's what this is. Um, and like, that, that is what it is. But like, it's kind of showing us like, these characters have come so far, they're even recognizing that they're like, wow, we're like actually helping Fillory instead of just like <laughs> being shitty and jokey about it. And while they are also being shitty and jokey, they're still like, you know, right before that scene, they find out there's these fairy eggs and Elliot gets back to the carriage and he looks at Margot and she comes running, holding all the fucking eggs. And she's like, let's go. <laughs> that will always make me laugh. Just the, right? the physical comedy of it. It's like, oh, yeah. Because <laughs> she's like so small. She has these giant fucking fairy eggs. Um, and like, I don't know that like, I, I think Philip, you had said this to me before that like Margot's what Cordelia could have been if she were like written by someone better. And I really think that's true. Like, Cordelia's arc was like so almost there, but then ugh, she just put in a coma. Up, oh, she's dead. <laughs> and like Margot just feels like that is a character that I wish I wrote. Like I, that's a character I strive for writing in my stuff, even before I knew who Margot was. Like that's the kind of character I want to write, who's like severe, has a filthy fucking mouth, and like can like drag you for filth, but also will help when she needs to. Like she knows when she needs to help. Kind of like in season one, how like she spends most of the season just being like the mean girl. Mm-hmm. But then at the very end, when Elliot has to marry Fen, 
who was played by a different actor in that one episode, she has this like really sweet moment that made me tear up the first time I watched, like every time I watched that episode, it makes me tear up where she's like, can I say I just kind of hate that you're getting married because you're the only person I can stand? <laughs> and like, I, I feel that. I feel that, man, as like the perpetually single gay friend. Like for me, that was the first time she had like a lot of depth and it just continued throughout the show. And I think Summer Bischel's portrayal of her is just so fucking perfect. Perfect. And like her her delivery, her the way her like cadence with the way she like speaks, it is perfect. Angela, I know you also stand Margot. So. Oh my gosh, I love her. I <laughs> I loved her at all her levels. I loved her as bitchy mean girl. I loved her as high king. And I, I loved her as horrible baby trader. I mean, I love all <laughs> of the things. Mark, I, I, the, she could do no wrong in my eyes. I, really, <laughs> I, just, I just loved her. And you're right. I mean, I can't even imagine anybody else playing that after the way that summer played her she just nailed it and embodied and and made the character so believable i mean they're all just so believable these characters are people i I think that's some of them the real magic of the show is that like any one of these characters could be anybody that any of us knows like they're real they're they're so relatable but i love yes margo all day fashion sex drama uh, yes <laughs> everything about her and she her. even looked fucking good with the eye patch like, eye patch. yes oh my god the bedazzled eye patches that she <laughs> yes. had. Okay, okay, that, okay if i ever if i ever like you know get gingivitis i know what i'm going with <laughs> do we think that's when she started to channel samuel jackson was when she got the eye patches or was oh. it before oh. I get that reference, Ian, because I've now watched all the Marvel. <laughs> now he has all the Marvel. Because yeah, there were certain lines where she would say, like, motherfucker. I always got surprised when they would slip in an F-bomb. I don't know why. Me too. <laughs> so, like, she would have a motherfucker every now and again. And I and I understood that. So, I, mean, I feel like maybe they, they saved the F-bombs for Margot, because she is the only character I can remember swearing. Because she would deliver it with such panache, <laughs> when she'd be like, well, fuck. Yeah, right. it's it's, so it's it's crazy though because if you had ever watched it live on Sci-Fi while it was airing on cable, they bleeped out all the f bombs. Oh, I mean, you're losing something from the text there, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I think that didn't they stop doing that like towards the end? I think, or did they still do it? I think they had. I I feel like I was shocked watching it on Sci-Fi when, and I would be like, oh my gosh, because I didn't remember there being cuss words on Sci-Fi. Yeah, I yeah. remember in season three, there were a couple of times where they dropped her audio whenever she would say fuck. And I was like, that's literally the best part of the show is when Margo <laughs> says fuck yeah. and you're not letting me enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so when I had um, I had a couple of like folks from that, like I had James Marsters and Tom Lank do like quarantine advice at the like peak of quarantine. And I had Summer Bishel do one where they like would say their quarantine advice slash their characters quarantine advice. And I was like very happy that Summer used because I was like, and if you want to do like for you do your quarantine advice and then when you do Margot's, you can just make it something like, you know, you say stay home and Margot says stay the fuck home. And she exactly did that. And it was my pride of like kind of writing Margot for like one second. <laughs> and she like gave the fuck delivery the way Mar- the way she always did with Margot. And it was like, yep, this perfect. Like, <laughs> um, Love her. Kim? Oh, Margot. Mar- I mean, she's just the best. Like everybody said, it's hard to, <laughs> hard to add to it. Except I will say that I, I think we get 
we we can get to to Margot as she is, as we love her, with Margot alone to a certain extent. But I don't think that we can have Margot without Elliot or Elliot without Margot. And I think that that's yeah, an I important agree. thing for me to yeah. mention. Like they need each other to be yes. the best possible characters that they wind up being, and that they really are from the start. And I just want to add that because I think it's important. Kim, I think that's like a really fucking good point. Like, because their love for each other is always there. Like, that's the, like, definitely always there is that they love each other. Um, And they kind of, you know, I think I've talked about this a couple of times in season five when we're like sans Quentin and like Elliot's super fucking depressed. They have that moment that like is such a small moment, but I love it so much because it feels so true to two best friends who love each other. When he's just like being messy and kind of a dick to her. Mm-hmm. And she's like, just talk about your feelings. And she like uses the line, like, if I were you, I'd be driving a semi down fucking Fury Road. <laughs> and he kind of like brushes her off. And she's like, okay, you're pissing me off. So I'm going to leave you alone for a little bit. And like, but there's no, that's not like her being like, ah, you're an asshole. It's just like, hey, you're pissing me off. I need some space. I'm going to walk away. And then they're fine the next time they see each other. But like that felt like such a true, like these are people who love each other moment, right? They get all the those little moments. They nail yeah. them. And it makes yes. the bigger moments even better. So when she's elected high king and like she didn't even Ugh. run. Yeah. You know? And like the, in the beginning of that episode, Elliot's like, yeah, I think like someone with a penis needs to run. Like he literally mm-hmm. says that. And she's like, yeah. yeah, sure, fine, whatever. And then she's elected and she goes over to him and she's like, oh my God, like, I'm so sorry. And you you watch him and he like does the math in his head. Oh, I'm going to cry. And then he like kneels <laughs> down in front of her and he's like, I'm yeah. king or whatever. And I'm like, oh God, this is so good. You know, yes. but they, they yes. earn a moment like that. And like the acting is phenomenal there, but like because they have all these other great little moments. Yeah, that is maybe one of my favorite moments between them because like he just pauses for like a second, <laughs> then turns and like grabs her hand and is like, "All hail high king!" And she like cries and ugh, uh, yeah. ugh, I love it so much. Yeah, I don't know. I I like I could do a whole episode on fucking Margot because I just feel like the like nuanced mean girl doesn't get a lot a lot of love, especially in genre. Mm-hmm. Seeing that like trope thrive on this show was like such a nice thing (laughs) it's just it's so easy to to kind of get it wrong or to write it incredibly like lazily and make and make that character very two-dimensional yeah i I think it was uh, when the the series finale was airing the um the cast were all answering questions on social media and uh some official kind of alluded to the fact that margot's writing in the first season actually was a little bit bare bones and that so yeah. much of basically what helped her with the characters is she came up with a whole backstory and motivation for the character that was not there on the page that then informed how the writers wrote her kind of moving forward. Like she kind of helped, she conceived that character as much as, you know, Lev Grossman or the, right. or the, uh, the, the, the TV writers in the way that, you know, Margot rather than Janet, you know, she, she made that happen. And it was like the alchemy of no other actress would have, done the same job Mm -hmm. yeah i would agree with that um so i guess now that we're you know an hour in we'll talk about we'll kind of we'll try to like breeze through the seasons i feel like maybe the finale we'll spend more a little bit more time on but season one um i gotta mention there's like the the taylor swift shake it off moment which i remember being a moment that i really loved when i first Mm -hmm. watched it and during my rewatch i was thinking about how like and you know this isn't shade to taylor swift but i know she doesn't easily give away the rights for her music so I looked up, I was like, there's got to be an article somewhere about this. They paid $20,000 to use that. And it's like, what, like not even a full minute? 
Oh my um, god! Yeah, yeah. music, <laughs> especially pop music, is so expensive. It's absurd. They rarely cut deals for that shit. Like you're paying twenty, twenty five thousand dollars for like a minute of a Taylor Swift song anytime you use it. Guys, this has been really fun, but I got to go write a pop song. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Right, Neil, you worked on a show that had songs in it, so you would definitely know about. (laughs) Like regularly, it's actually really, uh, I can't wait to talk about this when we get to the musical episodes, but just like this being the first like real like quote unquote musical moment of The Magicians, like, it just made the show that much more, I mean, forgive me for this joke, but magical, where it was just kind of like, oh my yeah. god, this show can literally be anything right now. Like, we're having a Taylor Swift dance party in a mental institution that yeah. he's trying to break out of. Like, this is, how was this show made specifically for me? <laughs> I loved, I thought it was funny when Penny called Quentin racist for having him yeah. have that voice. <laughs> Yeah, like you racist, like, but he's still helping him out. Like, I don't know. I don't know yeah, I do. I do. Li- I actually, I really like that episode. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the it's just wild that it was like Taylor and Neil. I think it's you're right. It's like it feels like it's made for. I mean, like all of us, it feels like it really is made for us. And I think it's because even though like it's. And I mean, you've worked on a show, so you can correct me, but isn't it harder to make more modern, like to make it so topical, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you're always, you're always going to be afraid of like dating yourself and yeah. dating the show. Um, you want to be able to uh, have people go back and watch this 10, 15 years down the line and be like, oh, this is a fun moment. And you don't want them to right. be like, oh, not that stupid Taylor Swift song that was big for like a day. Yeah. And I feel like this show, and I mean, we will definitely get there with the pop culture reference scene. Like the the jokes were like topical, but also still like not like that. Like you're not rolling your eyes at their pop culture references. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause like even in the last season, right, Kim, before you, so Kim just recently went through all the Marvel movies before she got to Endgame, there was like an Endgame joke yeah, in yeah. season five. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, the yeah, it's, they do they do such a good job of like keeping it, keeping the references not to, like, you know, like, I mean, we all watch Buffy here. When we go back to Buffy, sometimes it's like, ooh, that reference does not hold up. Mm-hmm. Right. But for the most part, I think in this show, a lot of the references well, hold up, right? I, I think musically, um, the, the Taylor Swift moment, I mean, this would have been... 2015 when they were filming the first season so i guess that like they were like we want a big taylor swift song that is of the moment but every musical episode moving forward it felt like they, they it felt like they went a bit more timeless and classic with the the songs mm-hmm. that they chose yeah yeah so the end of so this season we kind of it's kind of we're, we're like focused on quentin's story um we learn that Christopher Plover, who Kim and I had trouble figuring. I was like, which one is Christopher Plover? Which one is the Beast? Um, Martin Chatwin well, is they, the Beast. They get confused yeah. too. To, in our yeah. defense, they they are like, oh, it must the Beast must be him because he's a pedophile, which is what you're about to say. So it wasn't just right. us. They they deceived us. Okay, so yeah, we find out that like Quentin's beloved author of these books that he loves so much, we find out is a pedophile, and we go to like, I forget, is it the Chatwin's house? Did they go to that's the spooky haunted place creepy as fuck first episode yeah, yeah. it's plugger's um, house that he lived with with his sister yeah okay 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 so they go to that house and it is like pretty creepy yeah that episode terrifying yeah and yeah. then so by the end of the season is it like they get to fillery and that's where the beast kind of demolishes them mm-hmm. so like i remember like being 
pretty shook that it felt like, ooh, did they just kill half the cast in that finale? Because right before that, Margot has the line of like, blah, blah, blah. Are we in a show that kills its main characters halfway through the first season? And then is like, are we even the main characters? We might be comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and like, that is such a good meta moment, but like, it doesn't feel too winky, even though it is pretty winky. And I just, I remember being like, oh shit. Cause like they, he cuts Penny's hands off and, and what, then Julia just like comes in and teleports away. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, it ends on a cliffhanger season two kind of, it's like season 1.5 almost. It's um, like Harry Potter 1 and 2 where we yeah. need season 1 and season 2 to like set the groundwork for the magic, if you will, that's going to happen for the rest of it. So yeah, season 1.2 feels about right. And especially because <laughs> like you'd mentioned, the the big bad isn't even killed at the end of season right. 1, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, right. And then it's not even the beginning. It's not like the first episode. Alice kills him like two or three episodes into season two, right? Yep. And then she, yeah. got, she becomes a Niffin too. So like not only right. do we lose the big bad, but we also like lose one of the major characters in a way. Yeah. But but also um, they are crowned king and queens of Fillory, the gang. That moment is such a like nice moment. And I like when Margot gives Quentin his crown, when she's like, she says something about like, you are always like true to yourself and that's really inspiring. And she like starts it with, I could say something devastating and mean, but I'm not going to. <laughs> and you know, that's kind of the first time we see Margot be like sweet with these cats, with like someone other than Elliot. <laughs> um, and I do really like that. So we we get Alice becomes a Niffin. Quentin wishes himself back to a magical life. Uh, my first big episode that I love is the heist episode because they haven't hadn't all been together for a minute, um, mm. and we get like them going through this heist. What do, you, what do you think about season two, <laughs> Neil? Season season two, um, I like what you said where it's kind of uh, season 1.5 or, you know, you need these yeah. first two seasons to get really into the magic of, of the show and Fillory and all that. Um, to me, it was actually one of my least favorite seasons overall, just because it felt like we spent so much time dealing with the aftermath of season one and then kind of like slowly getting into a new plot. And then all of a sudden we were at the end of the season again. And it's like, we didn't really get that really big. This is what season two is. It was just kind of, it always just felt like an afterthought of season one. Yeah. I wonder if I got lucky that I, I think seasons like one and two, if not one, two and three were like already out on Netflix. Maybe when I watched it. I think so. Yeah. I don't think they dropped just the first season. I think they dropped at least one and two. That that may have been true. Yeah. I think you might be right. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I think this show definitely can, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It benefits from a binge. Mm-hmm. But even with a binge, I will say it's very, still very easy to lose track of the plots. <laughs> I will say, I just, I just looked it up. Um, so I watched season one, January 2017, and then season two aired April 2017. And I think me going from having binged season one in literally a day to then having to watch season two week to week, I think that kind of broke my brain and is probably why I don't like it as much. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm, yeah. I, um, well, I, I binged season one um, as well. And, and, and season one, like once it gets going, like there is so much plot and momentum that keeps you gripped. And then early, in, you're, you're absolutely right. Like in early in season two, like once the beast has been dealt with, 
it hits a real slump. Like the fillery stuff becomes a massive fucking drag. Well, because Elliot's like pissed off. He's got to stay there too. Like they're not having fun either. Yeah, yeah. I think that's it. It's like you're you're not having fun. The characters aren't having fun. Quentin isn't having fun because he's like grieving Alice and having really depressing sex with his coworker. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're doing Buffy season six, but it's only season two. <laughs> Not to mention all the Julia stuff, which like hasn't, oh she's not God, had yeah. it, right? Like it's like all that trauma. And yeah, they didn't drop together. They dropped a year later, but I, I wonder if I didn't watch them until the second season was already available. I, I think you didn't watch till they were, I think yeah. you had, I think all three seasons were up when you watched it, Kim. At least one and two. But so remind me, how does season two end? Because I don't fucking remember. They meet Ember and Umber. Oh, right. Yeah. Both of them. They'd already met Ember, I believe. Yes, because Ember had been like kind of a like reoccurring character. And then Quentin kills him, right? Yeah. Ember kills Umber because Umber's like the, it's like Bert and Ernie, right? Like right. <laughs> Ember's like Ernie and Umber's like Bert. They're just very different. One's like chaos and the other one's like very neat, small, tiny worlds. Um, yeah, so Ember kills Umber, and then Quentin kills Ember. Um, but then that's bad, right? Isn't it bad for a reason? I forget. It's like gods oh, have well, parents that, or something. Well, that's what leads to magic being eradicated. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Because then we the season kind of ends, we get that scene, right? Where the guy go, walks into that, that one classroom that we always go back to and mm-hmm. turns off the like... The only break those classroom. Yeah, the only, the only <laughs> one. So yeah, so season three is, I think, the best season... This is where I think Margo and Elliot like become 100% main characters. Mm-hmm. Maybe not like, like Quentin is still the main character, but I would say together the two of them are the other main character. They start off, this was, I remember watching this and this was when I was like, wait, someone has to be a big Buffy fan here. Because when <laughs> Elliot leaves on Muntjack, the boat that we had met, they're talking about, they have met Fen and Elliot's child who we learn is not actually their child and but uh the fairy queen kind of says like oh you know time happens different in the fairy realm that's why she's older margo and elliot are talking about how cliche it is the like time travel a child who ages up yeah and they're like uh angel twilight buffy and margo corrects him and goes actually buffy's sister was never a child she just <laughs> appeared yeah <laughs> and I like that's what I, I remember being like, ooh, these people have to someone is a big Buffy fan on this show. Oh yeah. Um and then ended up being a lot of people. Was that the same uh, no, I think it must have been a different conversation where they have an extended reference to uh-huh. and it's just the the best like if you haven't watched Buffy, that that, that scene makes no yeah. fucking sense. <laughs> it's very best episode of Buffy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it's just so it's so great. Like oh, like we we might people might be listening in on us, so we have to talk in code. Yeah, I think that's the first episode of season three because I think yes. I remember being like, I know you stopped watching this show, Ian, but you have to you have to watch this like season yes. season. Three. <laughs> so when I rewatched it, I was like, this had to, I had to have texted Ian and told him he needs to keep watching. You know what? You're right because it's season two that the fairies are introduced because the dude that's like in love with the sloth whose name I can never remember, <laughs> he is the one that he kind of tells them about the fairies and Margo's like, excuse me, they can, they can turn magic back on. Why didn't you tell me this? And he's like, well, the fairies, you know, and they take her eye. And that's the big lay Miz up when, when we find out about the fairies, cause she does the deal with them to yeah. see right. Quentin who then, or Elliot who then doesn't need saving. Which another good line is when Margo's watching it in that, whatever little like 
water bowl where she can see what's going on. And she turns and goes, I'd give you an update, but I hate to see grown men cry. And I'm like, ah, love you. But so, yeah, she loses her eye. The fairies take her eye. And we learn, we get the pop culture speech. I forgot. You're right. That's the first episode. Is that pop culture speak? Yeah. And I remember... Uh, someone tweeting that and me being like, okay, wait, maybe I do want to get back into this. And you being like, you have to get back into this. Yes. Because that is one of like the best scenes of the show. Yes. Right. <laughs> it was brilliant. It was so perfect. And I understood all of them except maybe one Doctor Who reference. <laughs> the the only reference I didn't get is the Battlestar Galactica one, but like, okay, sure, fine. And I love the Margot's line is, I love when they do a terrorism allegory with mostly white people. <laughs> Which is like such a good line. <laughs> so season three is so good too, because we've got the keys to sort of ground it. You know, yes. the other seasons are all over the place in, in certain ways that it's just harder to ground. But everyone, we know everyone at this point, and we get yeah. to, we re-get to know Josh and halfway through. But like, everyone's kind of working on the same thing, even though they're doing it in all of the ways that this show you know, gives us all of these different worlds and different characters doing all these different things all at once, you know? Yes, because they actually all aren't together. They, like, make a reference about it in that the musical episode, how, like, that's almost at the end of the season, and they haven't all been together in a very long time. So, like, them singing together is, like, kind of the first time they all have been together in a while, which mm-hmm. adds to, like, the emotionalness of that. But I think a lot about, we have to keep it very best episode of Buffy and her going, oh, musical? And him just saying the <laughs> other one and the captions just saying, hush, like, that is so good. <laughs> and like, I love that they made the joke of like, those are the two best episodes of Buffy because they are, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, also that this is very me and Kim of like, when he makes a Game of Thrones reference and she's like, glad I made you read those books. And he's like, well, I read the wiki, those pages, those books, like a thousand pages. <laughs> <laughs> And like this episode, this season gives us, I think Fen becomes way more of a character this season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did forget to talk about her, but I, yeah, I think she becomes, and Marina, oh, we did forget to talk about Marina. So the fairies, Candace Kane is also really good as the fairy queen because uh, she is oh terrifying. God, yeah. I, I'm so glad you brought her up because I hadn't realized, obviously under all that Tilda Swinton makeup, I hadn't realized that that's what it was. <laughs> Until I recently watched the documentary Disclosure on Netflix. Mm. And yeah, so it it made me appreciate that performance even more, that she is sort of so otherworldly and sinister, but that there is like a real sort of, you can still connect with her and like what's motivating her, you know, being the the ruler who's just trying to do the right thing for her people and her and Margu having that like grudging respect. It's just like, oh yeah, it's good shit. And I didn't like the fairies at first, but. It kind of, I yes, like yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't like them at first. I, she was terrifying, and I love that. You know, towards the end, she does respect Margot, right? Like she even says that in the like when she has to sacrifice herself, she says she always saw something in Margot. And while she was awful to Margot at first, I believe that she did. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we also get we learn that that child is not their child. Penny dies? Mm-hmm. Kim, remind me how Penny dies. I don't remember. He's got, oh, he's got poison cancer, magic cancer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, right, right. And right, he's right. like kept alive. They kind of string him along for a while. And then it's like, no, yeah, you're dead. He's like right. astral projecting for a while, even though he's dead. And then it's like, yeah, no, you live in the underworld and work for the library. And you're actually weirdly content with this other new dead life that you have. <laughs> and then we we lose Josh for a few episodes. The way he comes back is a musical episode. I this is my I think my my two favorite episodes are this and the Margot uh, 
desert episode in season four that's also a musical. Mm-hmm. The under pressure episode, you mean, as the first favorite? The Josh yeah, episode, like yeah. This Josh episode and then the Margot uh, desert sing-along, I think, are my two favorite episodes. I just also... I tried to look this up. I couldn't find it. They probably also had to pay a lot of money for a David Bowie song too, right? Yes. Yes. There's like no way that came cheap. (laughs) Definitely not. And I actually remember, um, so when they announced that they were doing the musical episode of The Magicians was, I think like maybe a week after we announced we were doing our first musical episode of Riverdale. Okay. (laughs) And it was like a big like, ooh, like they're our competition when like really nobody's our competition. We're a CW show. They're sci-fi. Right. But it was so fascinating because, like, seeing how those musical episodes play out in real time, like, behind the scenes is so expensive. It's a completely different, like, way to produce an episode of television. Um, And it's just, like, it's so cool to watch um, Josh, in this instance, kind of take center stage and kind of narrate this episode. Whereas, like, typically in a TV show, when you have a musical episode, you do have your main characters as, like, your leads. and maybe like they're like in Buffy there's sweet who's kind of guiding the musical episode but not really doing as mm-hmm. much whereas like Josh is like literally like the main character of this episode right yeah. that's true yeah I always I always want to ask uh like if I had ever gotten the chance to ask the writers or the the actors of this show I'd like be like like when do they when do they come up to you and they're like so who can sing you know like when do they decide like okay we want to do this like, can they all sing? Like, did they all do, like, musical theater? Or do they know that coming into it? You know, like, Katie can really sing. Yeah. My guess would be it was on their resume. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They probably had a conversation when they did the Les Mis number in season two of, like, okay, who would want to be a part of this? Who can be a part of this? And then, like, some people are like, well, I'm not even, like, in the Fillory story. But, like, just so you know, I can sing, like, Katie. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah, because she's not even in that first musical, but she like clearly, clearly can sing. Yeah. Like, yeah, in Margot's musical, she's like, "What the hell are you doing here?" And she's like, "I can, I can sing better than you." Like that's why. Yeah. I- <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like that—that that was literally just how they write. They were like, "Oh yeah, we need to have Kate because she's the best singer." I, mm-hmm. I can't believe we haven't said this yet, but I think it's maybe because season three is when it happens. But like this show tackles such heavy emotional like raw things that we as real humans can relate to but like i and i feel like you've used this phrase a lot but like doesn't take itself too seriously Tongue like yeah. mm-hmm. we get all of these hilarious moments and the there's a lot of like breaking the fourth wall kind of things that are like subtle it's not like they're turning to the audience like in a shakespeare play but y'all know what i mean like yeah and it's just it's so well put together in that it's like both funny and like dramatic and like everything that you want I can't believe it wasn't more popular. Oh, oh I know. Why did this show get canceled? Oh, it's devastating. And I don't know where she comes in because I didn't Google it like I probably should have. But I was absolutely just like, it made my heart so warm that Marley Matlin was the daughter of the librarian yes. and that she was in this show because I just love her. Like, I love her. She is really good in this show, too. Mm -hmm. Season three, where we get her really good episode, where they're like, where they're in that, like, they use the mirrors to cross over into the library. I think so. Yeah, because um, they're after a key or like a book to get to a key or something. It's towards the end of season three, I think. Because I want to say it's either right before or right after the like the musical episode, because I remember it being like, 
a like one two punch of like two really phenomenal episodes of the show like in a row yeah because that episode like it's intense like you want them to get out and then the fucking mirror explodes and they don't and it's shot so beautifully with like completely black but like their little platform and the mirrors Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but so i will say another thing that i love about the musical this first musical big musical episode is at so they all sing david bowie together which is already like hitting all of my buttons (laughs) And I love that at the start of it, Margot's like, well, enjoy our death screams, I guess, because like <laughs> yeah. they're about to be like executed on Munchak. <laughs> and then the boat saves them. And like this makes me cry every time. And it's because we get these like subtle moments of showing how progressive and actually like what a heart Margot has from earlier when she won't let the boat be raped, right? Which is a ridiculous sentence yes. to say, but in the context <laughs> of the show, makes sense. Because <laughs> it's like she finds out the boat is sentient and like is alive. So she's like, no, we can't just force it to have sex. And she's the only one that really cares because everyone else kind of is like, well, it's a fucking boat. Who cares? And she's like, no, it's a sentient boat. I don't want that to happen. Right. And so the boat saves them. And for me, that was like such a nice moment when she's like, Margot turns to the boat and she's like, are you a Bowie fan? And Elliot's like, Margot fan. <laughs> and I'm like, same, same, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so how does season three end neil alice betrays them mm-hmm. right and then they're tr- they um the keys get destroyed and then that's when julia uses her powers to reconstruct the keys right 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 and then um, monster gets out and they all end up with uh like the new identities and new memories yes. which i think yes. is yes. a trope it's like no don't don't break my gang up yes. yeah and did they do that at the end of season three i think they did so you can see they're all like mm-hmm. that like elliot's the monster and they're all kind of back in these normal lives i remember being furious yes oh i was so worried for elliot i thought they were going to kill him next yeah. me too yes i did too and especially because margo and elliot had become like this like power couple basically that we loved by yeah who knows when in that season and then they like broke them up. Ugh. Yes. I was I remember being very worried because I, I actually I agree with you, Philip. I also hate that as a trope, but I gotta say, season four opens and I kind of enjoyed the way they did it. Agree. I like that they didn't they didn't keep it going on for too long. It like they, they did it for like one episode, and then almost immediately, mm-hmm. um, like even in, under the spell of these new lives, like Margot knows something's up. Yes. Yeah. You can't change these people, they're gonna figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the, the fake out of like it ends the season ends with you thinking that Katie is like being arrested as an addict and it's like oh my god like they're putting the working class character through it again and then mm-hmm. it turns out that she was actually an undercover cop and it's like you know def- defund the police and all that but also I was just glad that it was a Right. A, yeah, a little <laughs> of the expectations of that character. But like, oh my god, I can't believe they made Katie a cop. Guys, <laughs> <laughs> yes. she's, like, she's a ballsy detective, yo. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but i agree i was super worried going into like and one like at that point i had to wait a year for the next show right the next mm-hmm. week because i watched not on cable or any way to I, anyway um <laughs> so finally when i got to see it i was like oh thank god they're not like stuck in these other personalities for too long and then pretty early on we get the maybe episode five is when we get to be in elliot's head and we see that he's still there so yeah I, I will say, even with that, I did think they were going to, I thought, because, you know, this show loves traumatizing, loved traumatizing all these characters. I, because we got that Elliot was still there, I was like, wait, is this a trick? So we're going to get our hopes up and then he will die and it'll be even sadder because we know he's actually still in there. Like, that's kind of, because we get that episode, I want to say like the halfway mark where they like figure out a plan 
and like Julia has that new follower who just gets murdered really quickly. Oh, and like, Shana. yeah, and they're like in the park. I forget what happens that like, is Julia coming to mess it up or Alice coming to mess it up? Someone comes in and messes it up. I thought that was where they were going to kill Elliot and it'd be like a sad thing. Um, mm-hmm. We also find out Santa Claus is real in this season, which is something they referenced <laughs> early on in the show. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the slow reveal of it, though, that you thought he's just this magician who, like, right. oh, and people thought he was, like, a nonce, and then it's like, oh, no, he's he's Father Christmas. <laughs> he, like, literally is Santa Claus. <laughs> and then it was Alice that, that, that is the one to kind of, you know, to to meet him. Uh, it just, yeah, yeah. That, that whole bit was, was perfect. Yeah, I, I love that shit. So we kind of, this season... I will say it gives me one of my favorite episodes, but I don't love it as much just because I don't love Elliot being possessed the whole season. Yes. Yeah. I almost wish we could have gotten like, okay, he's possessed for a little bit, but then like it invades, it like takes over the body of some random person that we don't care about. But yeah, that's, that would be my biggest qualm is that Elliot is not Elliot and Elliot is Mm -hmm. an enjoyable character to watch, but it does give us the Margot musical episode, which is, one of my fucking favorite. It's like the episode I go back to the most when mm-hmm. I do like a rewatch. Angela, did you like, do you like that episode? I, I do. I also think that I agree with you. I wish that Elliot having that, whatever the darkness inside him was, was shorter, but it also like, I was just like, damn, this guy's a good actor. Like it, <laughs> it really showcased. I mean, being that in such a dark place of like, just, murderous toy people like he he nailed it he made it believable and to see who he was earlier on i'm like man this guy's a good actor i hope he gets a lot of opportunities because he really it's just great acting in this show like yeah really really yeah i was trying to rack my brain to remember what other show did that where there was like a character that we loved like a beloved character that for a season was a totally different character, and we wanted them to be back to normal sooner. And it was Twin Peaks, The Return. Oh my god, you're mm. right. Yeah, I was going to say, like they did, they did that with Fred in the last season of Angel. Like, for yeah. like, maybe oh Fred. god, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is where we get the Josh Margot romance really mm-hmm. amping up, and they really do sell me on it. She also makes Fen. What is it? She makes her banish her, exile her from Fillory. Um, and we get that really badass moment where she's like crying and being like you have to do this because we have to save elliot and i almost hate that like what she does kind of doesn't do much right or does it i don't even remember (laughs) i think you know what it's it's maybe it doesn't do much on a plot level but it's important character storytelling yeah all right fair (laughs) um and i love the episode before that we get the moment of josh giving her the headphones Mm mm-hmm And I kind of, like, she walks out, she does a slow walk out to Pat Benatar, and it's, like, pretty badass. Yes. Yeah. And then we get, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, then Quentin dies. Right. I was going to say, let's speed to Quentin. Quentin dies. I I can't hear Take On Me now. Like, I hear it at work, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, oh, this song's emotional now. (laughs) (laughs) The way it's shot is really well done of, like, Mm -hmm. the, like, whatever the, like, the shards, like, ripping him to pieces and Alice, like, screaming and being pulled out. And then, like, cutting to the funeral, but also getting Quentin to watch it. And and him seeing Elliot walk up and knowing that his sacrifice was worth it. 
Yes. And you see his face like crumple because his friend is is back and he saved him. And they do such a good job with like, you know, waiting, waiting for that moment. I love that that he did it with with minor mending, which at the point when he found out that was his specialized skill seemed like the lamest <laughs> thing in the entire world. And and that was actually what he what he used to be able to even have that sacrifice that was his skill that was what it was all for so that I I wanted to add I'm glad you brought that up one of the things I really liked about the way the show developed is that they went away from this like which house are you are you a Ravenclaw kind of thing yeah like that other YA Mm -hmm. does was like okay like yeah there's like the physical kids and the naturalists and whatever Alice does with light or whatever um but then it's not really 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 gone into very much outside of that first season like briefly but then when it does matter and is important like they remind us in a way that doesn't feel overly like ah we forgot to develop this you know right Mm -hmm. yeah also if you ask me what each one of their things were i could not tell you (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't think they really say what margo and elliot are the physical kids because they live in the physical kids' cottage. Yeah. We also, oh, yeah. before we leave season four, we get Marina's apartment, which is just an important like oh, yeah. space because we no longer live in break bills anymore. So I'm, I, oh, I forgot by the time season five came out, like how they'd acquired Marina's apartment, but I did remember it was her apartment and that they were all living in it somehow. Because like it's safe, right? It has like the yeah. like whatever magical things that make it a safe apartment for mm-hmm. them to live in. Yeah, it's, it's like the nicest Airbnb I've ever seen. Oh yeah, true yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so season five, Margot and Elliot clearly become the main characters. We get that very good Mar- uh, Elliot and Alice episode where it's kind of like they're working through their trauma and kind of. I really liked the idea of, again, the show plays with tropes in a different way than most shows do because the trope of like, okay, this character died and like, oh, Alice doesn't know that Elliot also was in love with him and maybe they had something. But then we find out Alice did know and she was cool with it. And that's some shit I love. <laughs> like Alice is the most intelligent character on this show. How was she not going to, with enormous glasses, how was she not going to see that? Like <laughs> Enormous glasses? <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful conversation that they have where it's like, and, and again, I think it's an important humanizing moment for, um, for Alice. Uh, and, and for Elliot, because, you know, um, sort of these are characters who have never really spent a great deal of time together. And, yeah. and now that, you know, Quentin was maybe the only link that connected them and he's gone. So to have them, you know, sort of be brave enough to tell each other the truth. And I, I, I was just so glad that after we had that episode, you know, Escape from the Happy Place, where we realized that Elliot did reciprocate those feelings for Quentin, that they yeah. weren't going to just let that go now that Quentin's dead, that that's still a really important part of Elliot's story. Um, mm-hmm. And the other characters know that, and that's just part of the texture of the show now. Yeah, and that you're right. It's the fact that the other characters know, and no one's like, no one's like, like every, it's just like, it is what it is, right? Like everyone... And it's not like, oh, the queer character is like pining for the guy who has a girlfriend. It's like, no, no, there was an alternate reality where they raised a child together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we also get, God, this season, I'm like, this season gets a little, like, I don't remember the main plot. I wanted to know what you all felt about. So we're gonna we're just gonna blow to the finale. We're gonna blow past it to the finale. Neil, as someone who's written for TV, they. I mean, we can say this, Kim, because Summer talked about it on the podcast. She did say she wasn't sure if it was gonna be canceled, and then it was. But then the the showrunner said they did write it to be a finale. 
do you think it was written to be the series finale? You know, I I struggle with series finales a lot because half the time um, you kind of go into a, like a series finale thinking, well, there's the chance this might be the series finale, so let's write it so that everyone gets you know, a happy enough ending. But then Mm. there's like the way that you would end the show if you truly knew this is the very last episode. And that's when you really want to do, pull out all the stops. You want to be able to honor all your characters and you want to be able to build on that too over the course of an entire season almost. Uh, So with this finale, it does feel like they kind of got, you know, the, they, they sense the blood in the water, maybe around like, you know, like five or six episodes left of the season, they're like, hey, we might not be coming back. So they kind of had to write it in a way that's like, okay, if this is the series finale, great. If not, we can tell more stories and be able to build upon this world more and then eventually be able to wrap up all these stories how we truly want them to wrap up. Hmm. So it's um, it does kind of feel as if they had wrote this with the hope that they'd be coming back, um, but they were like, but let's just close out the stories well enough that if this is the ending, you know, people will be like, well, that wasn't the worst ending in the world. Right. (laughs) That's fair. Jim. I mean, it just, it just made me want more. Like, yeah, I mean, I understand that it does can function in a way for sure. Like it's, if they were to go on, they're rebuilding Fillory, you know, that's a huge undertaking that would almost be a new show in a way, I guess, because, mm-hmm. you know, we know a lot of the places there and the characters, and we've really moved away from, you know, the Chatwins, for example. Uh, but right. at the same time, like, I'd watch that show, and the way that they do <laughs> such good work with the pacing where so much can happen over either a short or a long period of time, depending on what's happening in the show, you know, I felt like they could have done another season, despite the fact that we have this whole new world. And, like, can they just have magic back for a little while and like get to play with magic and have some fun? Like, no, definitely <laughs> not. Always going to be a plot point that magic is missing or browning out or, you know, it's threatened or in one place right. and not in the other, et cetera. Uh, Angela? I loved when they were sitting there at the end and I felt like to the best of their ability, they rounded it out and they gave us a place to take it with our imaginations. Don't they bring things back like a couple years later? Can't they just bring it back? <laughs> right. <laughs> Philip, what do you think of the finale? Um, so, I mean, I, I obviously agree that uh, once they sort of proved with the, the fifth season that this cast is strong enough to survive without Quentin, I would have loved, you know, sort of several more seasons just because I love these characters. I love this world. But my favorite kind of finale is the one where you feel like there are more adventures and stories happening. Like once the screen cuts to black, that mm. it's not the end for these characters. You you sort of, you know, you know what trajectory they're off to or you see you see possibilities and you're kind of you're happy to like let them go on that journey without you. Um, and so... And I, I think when I was watching it, I think I was under the impression that it had been written as a series finale just because they were kind of burning through so much plot. They were like, we are literally going to blow Fillory up. We're going to kill off Zelda, sweet, sweet mm-hmm. Zelda. Yeah. And then to have it, you know, for, for to have it end on such a full circle moment of Margot the Destroyer becoming Margot the Creator, yeah. it, it felt very intentional. I think the, the, the one bit that did feel a bit weak for me is like, you know, uh, what what the fuck is Elliot going to do being a teacher? That felt like that felt a bit like you know like in those later seasons of Glee where like these people who've graduated just keep hanging around their high school like fucking losers. <laughs> I wonder. I mean, I think I agree with you though that like I do like a finale where there's some question marks that we can fill in with our own imaginations and like 
you know, they, they leave us with something like that. But I wonder how much of my frustration with it would be different if Margot and Elliot would have just wound up together. Because I feel yes. like that, it's like yeah. a big problem for me. Yeah. I, can't, I, I thought it was you, Philip, but someone said to me that they felt like that made sense because they needed to be able to function separately, which I do understand, but I still would have liked it. I don't like the idea of it ending with them separately because they ruled Fillory together and they like, I mean, they fucked up a lot, but they like had their heart into it. And if any two characters I had to pick to create a new world, it would be Margot and Elliot. And not just because I love them, but because we saw them as rulers together and they did a like, I mean, Margot mostly was the one that got her shit together and she was a good king. And yeah, I don't know. I think that was my main issue with the finale. The plots up to it felt a little rushed. Like I was like, wait, we're just Mm -hmm. blowing through plots left and right here. For me, it felt the way Angel felt where it was like, it didn't feel like they knew there was going to be the finale. But then like with four episodes left, they were like, shit, let's make this a series finale in case. Um, that's kind of what it felt to me Mm. where like, then we have these sweeping, you know, like that rapture starts happening very suddenly and we don't check in with characters that had been reoccurring side characters up until that finale. We don't check in with like, you know, like tick or like any of those side fillery characters. Um, and that felt weird to me, um, or we don't see Todd, but I will say the moment of Margot eating that fucking sandwich just resigned to like, well, I'm going to die here. All right. I'm going to eat the oh sandwich. My God. Uh, <laughs> sitting, sitting on that counter with her ham sandwich, just like, I, yeah. and I think, yeah, like that, just showing the growth that she's been through where she is content to sacrifice herself because yes. she uh, can do it and she knows that the sacrifice can be worth it. Oh, yes. oh this fucking show. <laughs> okay. That, like, that was a perfect moment because I, I was so worried. I was like, she's going to get down there. And he's not going to, and she's going to die. Like, I totally thought, like, she's going to get the hero death that we got from Quentin. And that's, and I, I would have understood that as an ending, but I'm glad that Penny popped in to save her at the very last moment before. Like, yeah. I'm glad she didn't die because it would have been a little too sad of a, like, end end for the show, which is always my argument in Buffy when people are like, uh, some of the main characters, should, I'm like, Anya and Spike were the only ones that could have died because otherwise we wouldn't have been able to get Buffy smiling at the end. If anyone else died, <laughs> she wouldn't have been able to smile. <laughs> but so... Yeah, I just, that moment for me, it was that, that's like my favorite moment from the finale. Yeah, Angela, what's your favorite moment from the finale? You know, I like, I mean, I guess, I mean, like, literally, I think that my favorite moment was, was really that end scene where they're, where they're all sitting there and they're just, they've created a whole new world. And it's like, that, that whole idea fascinates me. I I just... You know, we didn't. I loved that there were talking animals. I bet there's talking animals in their new world. Like, <laughs> I think there should be talking animals here. I feel that <laughs> you just imagine creating your own world. Mine would be absurd, and I would love it. <laughs> I I think just the hope of that that they were they're li- I don't know. I really think there could have been a spinoff or should be. Um, I don't know who I have to blow in Hollywood to make this happen, but there are two horses. Right. Uh, I think they're continuing it in graphic novel form. I'm pretty sure. Oh, Uh, I have no idea idea if they're any good or not, but I I know that they have done. There are comics that have been coming out. There was like a six episode limited series um, called The Magicians, but it wasn't about our characters at all. Uh, It was about a completely different story in the world of Break Bills, and I was really pissed off when I picked it up and was like, oh, this is actually not what I thought it was. Oh, I would settle for like a next year, like the new class, like a, you know, if you've got a magic school, 
it wasn't even like next gen new class. It was just like, here's a completely original story that takes place in a world like the magicians at break bills. And some characters have the same names, but most don't. Okay, maybe not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny because I actually meant to pick that up at work this week and read it before our episode. And now I'm glad I, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I didn't do that. But now I'm like, oh, I don't need to do that. Nope, here to tell you it's just okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> uh, before we wrap up, Angela, what's, what would you say is your favorite episode of the show? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> you could pick a, you could pick like two or three. Oh, gosh. I liked, I liked anything with Bacchus. Um, because I like him in life in general. Um, I really enjoyed, I got, I just enjoyed the whole show. I can't pick one. I liked the rabbits. They were funny, (laughs) but I just thought it was, it's just so absurd. And I love that, um, irreverence, irreverent humor where there's like a talking rabbit. That's a messenger. I, that's like saying fuck yeah (laughs) i I just can't even pinpoint one episode because they're all just so special (laughs) neil Neil, do you have a favorite or a few favorites well i think my favorite episode uh would would have to be the quentin and elliot cabin in the woods episode in season three um, where they live out their whole lives together but i think my favorite moment um was the les mis moment because it took me completely off guard i was not expecting it I was so tickled when it happened. Um, and then I even, I went, they do musical Mondays here in LA, or at least they used to in the before times. And they right. would show clips from like, you know, like Tony Awards performances or like different bootlegs or different like Glee episodes. And one of the clips they played was that Les Mis episode or that Mi- ah. Les Mis clip, like the week after the episode aired. And I was just like, someone else here is my people. I'm like <laughs> freaking out. <laughs> Philip, what would you say is uh, some of your favorites? Um, so yeah, I agree. Uh, the Life in a Day episode where um, Elliot and Quentin um, have their life together, and then there's the that episode has the, its sort of sequel in Escape from the Happy Place, which is the one where it, it's all in Elliot's mind. And we have his memories of of, of that, oh, yeah. and and that has like the immortal line: um, "Buckle up, it's uh, it's all daddy issues and dicks from here on in." When he's going deep <laughs> <laughs> into his uh, his psyche. And then there's the, I think, uh, I think it's called The Sidekicks. It's one of the episodes that's narrated by Penny, where it's just all about, like, who gets to tell their own story and who gets to be the hero of a story. Um, and I think it's just, like, it captures one of the themes of the magicians that, like, um, anybody can be important and anybody can do, you know, great things. Um, and it's kind of, it's one of the more, like, earnest moments of the show, because most of the time it, it's got its tongue firmly in its cheek. But I just, I really, really loved that, you know, no, nobody gets overlooked and nobody gets uh, counted out. Oh. Kim? Yeah, I mean, Life in the Day is just so good. And it's good because, I mean, it's a trope, but it's it's the best done ever version I've seen of it. And I've watched all of Star Trek The Next Generation, where it's also very well done. <laughs> so, uh, in the way that it comes back, I'm... Yeah, so that's got to be my top favorite. But then I really like the season three premiere because of the way it, that se- that whole season is just great. And I think it sets it up really well. And then obviously your favorite episode, Ian, is one of my favorite episodes too. <laughs> yeah, I like my favorite moment is them all singing David Bowie under pressure together. But yeah. my favorite episode is the Margot in the desert episode because oh, Summer Bischel, yeah. she like, she fucking commits and like, 
the, like I, I mean, I said this before, but like the fact that they always are quietly showing you how progressive and forward thinking Margot is. Like, yeah, she could be severe and tell you to fuck off, but like she doesn't want these women living under this sexist fucking regime where like they're pretending the the spirits of the desert are evil, but actually they're there to help women. And then she fucking defeats the town and like <laughs> yeah. liberates the like the village and like that's shit I love. And I mean, we mentioned it before, but even the silliness of Katie being there and her being like what are you doing here? Yeah. She's like, I can sing. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, thank you all for joining me to talk about one of my other favorite shows that I don't get to talk about as often. Um, I was so excited to ask the four of you because I knew you all love it the way I do. Yes. If you like our podcast, you can find Slayerfest 98 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and other corners of the internet where you find your podcasts. You can subscribe to us on Patreon, which really helps keep the podcast going, gives you access to a ton of bonus episodes, uh, my Nudie Judy episode, which is all about sex, and uh, access to our private Facebook group and monthly Zooms. If you want to follow us on social, we are at SlayerFestX98. I am at Carlos on social media. Kim, where can everyone find you? At Kim and Joe South on Twitter. And Angela, where can everyone find you? I got a bunch of different names. Um, <laughs> so I'm... Angela MFN Rockstar on the Instagram and Mrs. Underscore A Rockstar on the Twitter. And then I'm at Angela Rockstar on the TikTok. And then I don't know, the YouTube is like something, something, but just type in Angela Rockstar. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Philip, where can everyone find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L, Ellis with two. Um, I am on TikTok, but I'm only there to watch. I uh, I don't create. <laughs> Neil, Neil, where can everyone find you? Uh, everyone can find me at Neil underscore McNeil on Twitter. Yes, that's my name. It's Neil McNeil. And you can also find me on Instagram, just Neil McNeil, no underscore. Yeah, and also you can find Slayerfest 98 on TikTok as well. I'm like joining the youths. Um, Thank you all for doing this and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.